Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 249. And today we are coming to you with more philosophy thought experiments. More than just that, though. Today we're going to be talking about not only thought experiments, which we did a previous episode on this. We have a little bit of that, but we're also just going to be talking about the whole concept of God, of heaven, the problem of evil, oh, are free we? will. I didn't know some we were of doing my that. favorite topics. Okay, so it's gonna it'll be really interesting because we've got some different dynamics here yes. on the show and different backgrounds and things like that. So I'm really interested. I, I'm sure a lot of you probably have heard my views before, but I'm interested to hear some of you know some of you who didn't grow up religious and some of what your views on free will and the problem of evil and some of those things yes are clearly i have gone into this episode completely unprepared <laughs> well that was kind of the goal here is to go into this with an open mind and really have a live reaction we are actually pre-recording this episode because when you see it we will be traveling somewhere filming a documentary we will be yeah, yeah. but we still wanted to get content out to you guys and we know you loved the philosophy experiments thought experiments last time too um, so, and we have, I don't know what this is. We have an activity here. Oh boy. We're going to find out because today we actually have our lovely researcher, Julia, who has her degree in philosophy, people. Here she is, the hey, lovely everyone. lady herself. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the show, Julia. We're happy to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. It's like really weird being behind the camera now. Like, yeah. Usually yeah. she's sitting with us for recording, but mm -hmm. she's just off in the sesh set. So now she's in front of the cam. Yep. Yeah. Yep. She's normally way in the back there in the dark, correcting us on our pronunciations of things. So <laughs> literally. Yeah. But you've been working on the show for over a year now. Yeah. Um, And definitely have helped us take things a mile higher. That's for sure. With, with our research sure. skills and, you know, making sure that we're presenting the, the best version uh, of mm -hmm. these different cases and stories that we cover here. And you've been a huge help to us. And today, again, with your philosophy background, it'd be great to have you. Cool. Yeah, last time we recorded um, a philosophy episode, we kept having to stop recording so she could like really explain things to us. And then I'd <laughs> yeah. be like, okay, yeah. And then I would try and rephrase it. So this time around, we were like, okay, we should just have her sit with us and actually you know, hear it coming from her mouth because she knows it better, much better than I do, at least. So yeah, we're really excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you guys and just kind of what you have to say and what you think about everything so yeah me too these are always really entertaining blow my mind i think we're gonna get into some good discussion here today but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by ritual and stamps.com but let's just go ahead and dive right into things first up we have the prisoner's dilemma oh i remember this one we almost did this last time mm -hmm. this one's interesting all right so you and an accomplice robbed a bank and got arrested you are both in solitary confinement with no way of communicating with each other. The prosecutor says they don't have enough evidence to convict both of you, so he makes an offer. Your accomplice is in another room, being offered the same deal. You have two options, remain silent or confess. If you confess and your accomplice stays silent, the prosecutor will free you and use your testimony to have your accomplice sent to jail for 10 years. If you stay silent and your accomplice confesses, you will be sent to jail for 10 years and they will go free. If you both confess, you will both be sentenced to only six years. If you both stay silent, then the prosecutor won't be able to convict you both of robbery charges. You will both be convicted of firearm charges and only serve 
one year. So Mm. the prosecutor gives you the night to think about it, and you'll have to have your answer by the next morning. And when you're ready, you'll hand the jailer a note with your decision. Your accomplice will do the same at some point, but neither of you will know what the other has decided until the morning. And obviously assume that you don't really know your accomplice that well and you care a lot more about your own freedom than theirs. So okay, so you haven't been like robbing banks for No, you're not many, like many besties. Years like, no, okay. no, no, no. I was say, yeah, that would add an easy to it. One. No snitching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're more yeah. than willing mm-hmm. to throw them under the bus. Okay, yeah. so one of them okay. could yeah. be a rat and... Did any of you ever see, I'm probably the only one who has seen this show because I used to watch the game show network for fun as a kid, but friend or foe? No. It was kind of a similar concept where you guys would, they would have like two people go into a separate room and they would say whether they were a friend or a foe and then you'd split money based on their answers. I don't know if any of you out there have seen it. It was a really good show, but never seen it. kind of reminds me of that. So basically, if you confess, both of you confess, you both get six years if you don't confess, the other person does. They get 10 years. You get nothing. Vice versa, the other way around. Yep. And then if you um, both say nothing, you both get one year. Exactly. This is tough. This is very tough. And we're not concerned about the other person. Nope. We only care about ourselves. You're concerned okay. in as much as like you're trying to maybe. Yeah. You don't have an, you don't know them well enough to be like, oh, they're more likely to pick this option. Right. You're. So that changes things, though, then, because then in your decision, you have to consider what the other person's going to do. Right. But you don't know, like, oh, well, Tom would never blah, blah, blah. I know him. You well, really have no you don't idea. know this person very well. Exactly. I would assume in this situation that the, uh, the accomplice is going to do what's best for them, right? You have to assume that. Because in this type of situation, especially when you don't know each other well, everybody wants, everybody wants to get off with, with the crime, right? And mm-hmm. assuming that they're presented with the same options, they're probably going to... It depends on how smart they are too, right? If they're smart, if both of you are smart and kind of like on the same same wavelength, I would say don't say anything. Take the one year and just yeah, be done with it. And I mean, a firearms charge in one year. But not, if you do that and the other person doesn't, then you get 10 and they get nothing. Right. So it's a big gamble here. Yeah, that's, I don't know how What's to answer most this. logical or rational, I would say, is to not say mm-hmm. anything and assume the other person's going to say nothing as well. Yeah, but, that's the biggest gamble. If you if you don't say anything, and they do, you could get ten years. So it's either zero or ten years in that option. That's a big fifty fifty. It is, but I think that's what I would do. You I wouldn't would just, say anything. I wouldn't say anything. I'm also thinking that if I do end up getting the ten years, I don't want to be a snitch. So, so if you don't confess, you'll either do zero years or one year. So it's kind right, of the best the, option. The prosecutor won't be able to convict us of those robbery charges. So then we'll just be convicted of the firearms charges. Right. But if, yeah, I think I think your move would be to not confess. I think there's a greater possibility of the other person doing that same making that same decision. Especially I mean, this might be digging in too deep with it, but I'm assuming that by having an accomplice carry out a robbery with you, you know them to some extent. Mm-hmm. There's some prior... But that's not in this situation. Conver- well... That's not part of this right now. You have to completely... This is a random person. <laughs> might as well not know so, who they are. <laughs> so if you confess, though, you pretty much are guaranteed six years or ten years, correct? If you confess... There is no... The other ser- accomplice confesses. You both get, get six. six years, but if... 
you confess and the other person doesn't confess, the prosecutor will use your testimony to convict them, give them 10 years, and you'll go free. All right. Okay. So, oh, so there is an option for zero if you confess. It's either you get six or zero if you confess, or you get 10 or one. Right, right. Okay. I see. So this is assuming you're going to make make a selfish decision to try to get yourself off. And you kind of got to assume they're going to do the same thing. I think that's the safest way to go, especially since we talked about last right, time how right. most people are inherently selfish. Yeah. So I guess you I think to... your odds are with stay silent. Hope the other person does as well. But you could also get totally screwed over by that decision too. No, cuz you just serve one year. But if your accomplice confesses though, that's what I'm saying is like Oh right. If you're about if your accomplice So I think the correct answer here is to be selfish and try to get yourself off and then <laughs> let fate <laughs> well, 12 hey, years old hey, you know and then i don't know for me personally though i think i would just go not saying anything yeah i, I think agree. i'd go against what this is trying to push me to do yep i would stay silent is that both your final answers yeah stay silent yeah yep. all right do you want to find out what Ooh. your accomplice picked Yes. Okay. So both of you are going to reach into the little cauldron. Oh, here comes the cauldron. Okay. And you're just going to pull out one. All right. Got it. All right. Ready? Yep. yep. Damn, these are sealed indictments. Yeah, here. they oh, are. Jesus. <laughs> okay. My accomplice stayed silent. Stayed silent. Oh, you both got the stayed silent. So you got you got lucky. Yeah. We made it out. It worked. Or no, we didn't. We're going to jail for a year. One year. We both get one year. It's not terrible. No. I feel like that's a pretty good outcome, considering. Better than 10 or six years. So I would almost rather take the one year and not risk the 10 or six, Mm -hmm. even if that meant potentially getting off. I think this was the best way to go. I do, too. What would you guys do? I'm curious. Same. You would stay silent, too? I think so, yeah. I think. It's kind of difficult because your instinct in this situation is kind of to protect yourself. And again, if you don't have any sort of feelings any which way about your accomplice, it's the thought like, I don't want to take that risk that I'm going to go to jail for 10 years. It's like really good option, really bad option. Yeah, I'm going to probably, I don't know, I might confess and it's like, I could get zero years, but I'll take the six, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this is, I feel like this isn't taking into account the criminal code of conduct. No, it's not. Which is like, (laughs) no snitching. Snitches get stitches, right? So you stay silent and you help each other out in the process. So I understand the philosophical question here, but I feel like because we're dealing with going to prison, that we're like using these biases that society gives us for that situation and i'm infusing that knowledge into this decision but (laughs) from if i didn't know any of that before i think obviously you would go with the selfish answer of i want to make sure i don't end up in prison so i'm going to do whatever it takes to do that even if that means throwing the other person under the bus which people still do all the time like people you know rat on each other all the time in order to get lesser sentences so it seems like most people would probably do what they needed to do to get off with the mm. crime yeah. versus doing what we did. We did a very like, I don't know. I don't think this is like the typical answer, but 
Yeah. So this is actually a thought experiment in game theory. And kind of what it's trying to show is that the most rational decision based on probability would be to act selfishly and confess, right. like you said. And, you know, that's just based on the probability. But paradoxically, the prisoner's dilemma also shows that you would both do better if you both acted unselfishly and, quote unquote, like irrationally. And the best outcome comes from that cooperation. And there are some real life examples and applications of the prisoner's dilemma. Like if you take an arms race, for example, country A and country B are both trying to one up each other on weapons. So country A is spending more. Country B then tries to catch up with them. And this just keeps going. And both countries get poorer, but neither of them really gains an advantage over each other. Mm. Okay, I see. I see. And then there's also the two shopkeepers example. There's two shopkeepers selling the same product. They both try to lower their prices to poach the other shopkeepers, customers. Um, but now they just keep lowering them and lowering them. They are cutting into their profits and neither yeah. of them benefits. Interesting. So it's kind of a race to the bottom. But if they both cooperated, they could raise their prices together, get more money. Interesting. So, so cooperation the, is key, it, is the message here. It doesn't. Well, I think sometimes we inherently associate cooperating with one another with somebody losing mm -hmm. and somebody gaining over that other person. So, this is showing us that perhaps if we work together on things, then there's a way for both of us to mutually benefit, like we just did with the prisoners. We both mutually benefited from staying mm -hmm. silent as opposed to being selfish and wanting to completely get off of the crime so i kind of see i see the the big dilemma here yeah is that we want to be selfish but maybe we should not be selfish in order to for the greater good so to speak and to benefit ourselves in the end yeah well in the end everybody wins right to some extent yeah i yeah that kind of can apply to so many situations in life if you really think about it mm -hmm. or even like alien civilizations it would probably benefit extraterrestrial civilizations if they all collaborated. Imagine all the technology they could develop mm -hmm. and, you know, imagine how they could connect the entire universe together mm -hmm. with this technology, alerting everybody of each other's presence. But as far as we know, that hasn't happened. So it, it makes you wonder if these same dilemmas exists throughout all intelligent life of the universe and that is why well it's kind of the fermi paradox type of thing you know you look at that whole situation and why haven't we heard from anybody in our huge universe that we have why haven't we been contacted officially by extraterrestrials yet oh you're there? taking things a mile higher for real well it's it's that same it's the same concept is like are all intelligent beings who have a consciousness inherently selfish do they inherently only care about themselves thing? or but it, but it's like i think to some extent that could be the case because it's like why not if there is a greater civilization out there why wouldn't they then come to earth and help us get our shit together because we are a mess here well and, and show us the way and you would think in theory this whole idea of like okay well if you're not willing to work with your partner or whatever then you're really shooting yourself in the foot and limiting to yourself, limiting yourself of how advanced you can become or how rich yeah. you become or whatever it is. Because if you can actually work together instead of fighting with each other, 
then your potential to grow together, you know, further on than you would be able to get if you were just having your own personal, you know, if you were only have if you were only thinking about yourself selfishly and only having your needs met versus trying to meet the needs of others as well and then together become more advanced or richer, whatever it yeah, may be. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You're like shorthanding yourself by only comparing by only trying to better yourself and not willing to work with others or think of the greater good. It could kind of apply to the podcasting industry. Like we have always seen it as better to collaborate with other creators because we both benefit from that versus mm-hmm. if you try to stay apart and just be competitive about it, then you kind of miss out on that mutual growth when you work together. I think with the alien example, there also is a risk, though. Like, imagine, you know, we have technology to beam a signal out to... Which we have, by the way. Yeah. We've beamed signals out to space mm-hmm. before. So now imagine that other aliens alien civilizations have the technology to beam a signal like that mm-hmm. they're not just thinking about us they they might not even know who we are they could be thinking okay we're going to beam this signal out there might be another civilization maybe with more technology that doesn't have the best of intentions and they're going to see that signal and they're going to say hey this planet has some pretty nice natural resources that we can use we mm-hmm. don't really care about the people we're just going to look at that signal blow it up take the resources yeah so you're running that risk you can either be able to cooperate or you could maybe maybe Mm. get blown up so everyone's kind of maybe not beaming that signal yeah because they don't want to run the risk and it's like maybe people are waiting different civilizations who's going to be the first one to kind of put it out there Uh yeah there's always that that risk you yeah because it could really benefit you but it could also destroy your ass i see (laughs) i see what has history shown us? Mm. At least here on this planet, not good, not good. I think that extends to the rest of the universe. Most I don't. I, I don't think that this idea of all of us getting along and this utopia of like, you know, we all like are fair <laughs> like and trade thing. with one another, and everybody's going to be happy, and it's going to be this good old time, is a reality anywhere in our universe. I think there is good and evil which we'll get into the problem of evil, but I think there's good and evil throughout the entire universe. I 100% believe there's civilizations out there that are malicious that that will take over other civilizations and exploit them and or enslave them or do whatever they want or just makes, destroy makes them. the most logical sense, yeah. It's just... For my own anxiety, I like to think they're all really nice and just trying to help us. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry to pop your bubble there, but that's not the case, I don't think. It's not a cake of rainbows if that, for us all to share. Think about it. If that were the case... All aliens are good. All civilizations beyond our our solar system are all getting along. There's a big federation. They all have this big council. They get together and they make these universal laws that are followed throughout the universe. If that were the case, it would be in their best interest to come down here and get rid of the, the fools running the world and institute this same standards that they have throughout not the entire necessarily universe. if they have their own if they have a universal law about free will and uh, planets developing at their own pace that's true that's true but if that were the case i don't think there would be this big federation of all these civilizations and i i think then well, that maybe there's more good ones yet. than bad ones and so they have the ultimate power 
but they got still, the most weapons. Still the that, <laughs> they got the most weapons. But there's still that clash, though, you know, and there's yeah. always going to be this this fight yeah, between that's an, the that's two. That's a really interesting concept to think about. How you'd have to put trust into some something else if you were going to try to make a decision that would benefit you both. You'd have to hope that they are thinking the same. And if, if you don't, then you could ultimately be screwed. Well, the last thing they'd want to do is risk their own civilization's well-being in order to help another. Yeah. And I think that's the reality of, of a, the alien problem is that I do believe that they are observing. I think some of the UFOs we're seeing are potentially even like their um, drones or potentially these scouts that are kind of scouting out the earth. And I think they've been observing us for a long time, but they're not intervening because they know that we have nuclear weapons. We have all these things that can cause a lot they of don't destruction. Know what our response could be. So right. They don't know what we're going to do. We're very chance. unpredictable. We're very, I mean, we are, probably far less evolved than most species out there mm-hmm. and compare in comparison to technology wise we're probably significantly far back there when it comes to our technological advances and so they're kind of sitting back monitoring waiting to see kind of what happens they're just sitting back enjoying the show while we're doing what we do <laughs> here on earth mm-hmm. so that was a good one i like that So let's move into Pascal's wager. Heard of this one before. I think I've talked about this one in the past, maybe in school. Yeah. So this one is kind of similar to the prisoner's dilemma, but we make it a little bit more fun by adding in eternal damnation. So nice. Yeah. That's My always favorite fun. topic. Oh yeah. <laughs> so okay. So congrats. If you're listening to this, you are alive. Woo! The bad news is because you're alive, you've been forced into a wager and you won't know the outcome of this wager until you die, but you have to make a bet. And the bet is, does God exist? Now answer carefully, because if you make the wrong bet, you could burn in hell for eternity. Why is this what I deal with every day? <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. is a wager I this take is, this every This is the human morning. dilemma for sure. <laughs> so mm. obviously you got two options god exists or god does not exist and there's two these two possible results for what happened if we die again god exists or if he doesn't there's no in between allowed so like in this scenario you can't be agnostic etc it's either he's a lot he exists or he does not exist so you're a believer or not a basically you're a believer or you're an atheist kind of thing exactly in this scenario yeah okay so there's four possible outcomes here Let's say, number one, you do believe in God and God is real. Yay. So now you spend eternity in heaven, never ending bliss. Amazing. Number two is you do believe in God, but God is not real. So nothing happens when you die. You just go to the ground, whatever. Number three is you don't believe in God and God isn't real. Again, nothing happens. Or number four, you don't believe in God, but God is real. So you spend eternity in hell and there's no option here for god is real but he's nice and he spares people from hell well no so blaise pascal was a catholic philosopher so his his wager is based on catholic theology Mm. and um you know basically yeah that the non-believers unfortunately burn will burn yeah (laughs) okay all right so Hmm. obviously heaven 
is considered to be like the realm of eternal everlasting bliss. And it's reserved for people who genuinely believe in God during their lives and no lived fakers. according. Right, exactly. So they were, you know, good people believing in God their whole lives, going to church, praying, converting others, whatever it may be. So for this exercise alone, we're going to assume that truly believing in God means you have to have lived a religious life. There's no like safety net. You can't just at the end no, make can't. a little prayer. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. And no, just <laughs> going to church on Christmas. Christmas <laughs> okay. yeah. You're full of the seasonal believer. Yeah. Either you're in or you're not. Yeah. We call them creasters. Mm. And, creasters. In the Catholic Church. Really? Creasers? Creasters. Oh. Christmas and Easter. Oh, Christmas. <laughs> see you at Christmas. See you at Easter. That's yeah. hilarious. That's I've never awesome. heard that. <laughs> so. Creaster. And then, of course, hell is considered the eternal damnation to a realm of never-ending suffering and agony. So it's reserved for bad or evil people and non-believers in God. So just non-believers get to go with murderers. Yeah, that's right. Evil people. And this isn't just like you'd go down there and chill and it's like, you know, drinking beer. No, you're you're literally screaming in pain every second of your eternal damnation. I cannot believe you grew up like It's brutal. Like you're watching people like, boil and scream and be tortured by Mm. demons and i don't believe in hell personally but in in this one you might excuse me (laughs) when we're talking this is an experiment okay Okay. so second though if god doesn't exist then nothing happens after we die there's eternal nothingness but we don't experience it obviously so you know it's either heaven hell or nothing yeah you could think of nothing kind of like where you were before you were born so. no consciousness no you can't be really sad or happy about it because you won't be around to experience it so you would consider it a neutral result essentially nothing hmm. no thing happens so what are you going to choose folks well it seems like if if we're not really factoring in if you want to live your life believing in god and we're just talking about the outcome in the end your best option is to believe in god because there's really no bad outcome with that yes you believe in god and nothing happens you believe in god you go to heaven or, uh, yeah, th- those are the two options. Yes. So. However, it's just remember, it's not as easy as like saying, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Like you, you, have, to gotta live, really... you have to live your life doing what, you know, traditionally. So you got to live your life as a God fearing exactly. individual, which I would never want to do. So there you go. There's the dilemma for well, you. Well, the real dilemma is we don't know which God. There are many gods. There are many different ways that humans say is the ultimate way to heaven how are you supposed to figure out which exactly is the right path and that's actually a really like common objection to this wager is the many gods objection mm-hmm. which one do i worship which so is this the right is catholic one? god in this scenario yeah okay catholic you know christian he was a catholic philosopher but okay so god almighty the holy trinity all right all right we're talking well i want to know your answer father first. son the holy ghost and, you you and tell me what what Blaise Pascal might have thought a pious, God fearing life looked like probably is different than yeah, true, you know, today's <laughs> standards. So you can apply today's standards. But I mean, just think of a, someone, you know, that's very religious and goes mm-hmm. to church and mm-hmm, tries mm-hmm. to live fully a Christ-like in like life. Yeah. I want to know your answer first. <laughs> of course you do. Um, He's like, I don't know, man. I fall asleep to this every I night. mean, literally, this is what I wrestle with. Uh, I was just telling her the other day that I've been having a lot of dreams about 
this exact wager. Um, I've had a lot of past experiences in the church come up in my dreams and I've woken up with feelings of I'm doing, I'm living my life wrong and I'm not, I'm not doing the right thing by God and by my family and my daughter. And, and it's been this huge dilemma for me, um, which I'm sure if you're religious or Christian, you're probably like, that's, that's God telling you. That's the comments you're going to get. Um, or it's which, you're wrestling which, with childhood trauma. Well, that, and that's a, that's. I a, also dream of my yeah, childhood trauma. Which that's the thing is like, yours, is it is it God speaking to me? Is it my subconscious mind that is processing through these things, um, and causing me to think about this? Because the thing about it is like, once I kind of come out of sleep and I really sit there and kind of think on it for a minute, I'm like, no, I'm on, I'm on the right path for myself, and and just realizing that by removing the barriers that religion put on me and the way that I thought what I was able to experience, I don't know that I'd ever want to go back to what that was like. But for this particular wager, obviously believing in God doesn't necessarily have a bad outcome because, you know, we're dealing with heaven and hell here and I know way too much about hell to even take that gamble. So I think I would probably, I'd probably believe in God, honestly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there's no bad outcome. And this is the thing that I've thought about too. It's like, well, if you believe in God, the worst case scenario is, is God isn't real. And, but if you go happens. a step further and you believe in God, but then there is no heaven or hell, nothing happens. And you spent your whole life believing in something or being afraid of something or living your life according to a set of beliefs that weren't even real, that's a huge risk in itself because all we do know is real is life right now. And if we live it based on what we think is going to happen afterwards, I think that's almost worse. But I guess when you really factor in like fucking eternal torture and hell, it's like, hmm. That that changes the... (laughs) I don't know. And that's another thing people bring up. You know, I'm not losing nothing potentially. If I want to live a life, you know, yeah, partying and doing whatever I want and, you know, not not living a comparatively pious life, you would be losing out on something that you really want to do, right. I guess, in your life. But I think people would argue against that, too, of like those, oh, thi- those yeah. things that you just mentioned that, you know, are are they actually is that actually living your life? Is that actually living with purpose and well, meaning? And think exactly. about it. If we're going by Catholic beliefs homosexuality is a no right like by the book <laughs> yeah i mean i mean so what if you are a queer person mm-hmm. and you have to then mask who you are and live a life that is not authentic to you in order to go to heaven or to at least have a chance to get in right that yeah. seems like a big sacrifice it's not as easy as just like i'll believe so i'm covered you yeah. know what no. if you miss out your whole life on you know, being your true self and a romantic partner and, you know, all that. Yeah. And there that's certainly like something to consider. And a lot of people have brought this up. The response to that would be, well, you know, whatever you do in life, it's it's finite. So you would be getting a finite gain and risking right. infinite loss I or see. and giving up infinite good. Yeah, because you got to remember with this theology there's only one life. There's only one shot at being this. 
versus other theologies there's potentially life after this or reincarnation or something where you might get another shot at living on on earth again or something like that versus this is like you have this is one life and as a person you will cease to exist in on earth but you will continue to exist in either hell or mm, heaven this is tough though because isn't i mean blaze pascal i'm guessing was like pretty by the fucking books so he probably would have been against like birth control right Oh, yeah. So I would have to have had, I could have unlimited babies. Yeah. Well, and just for a chance to go to heaven. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people that today that do live like that. Yeah. I don't want to live like them. I don't, you know, I don't want that. (laughs) I have one baby. I think a lot of work already. That's like the one thing that I, I think about with this particular scenario is could you live a a life like God or Jesus or whatever? but still live out your, your best potential. And I think that's hard because everybody, for everybody that's different, depending on what, what mm-hmm. you want your life to look like, I think for some people it's like, well, the things that I want to do or who I am in this life directly go against this theology. So therefore I cannot, Yeah, I can't. I really feel bad for people versus, who face this dilemma on a daily basis. It's well, got to be looking at really right hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to some degree, but. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because like I was taught from an infant basically that this is, Mm -hmm. I need to live my life with heaven in mind always. And I have to always keep that in my head. And I I think I've had a a number of experiences that have sort of broke that down and has shown me other possibilities. But at the same time, it's like it's not, not, it never leaves my head. It's never something that I just can like push away and be like, I'll never revisit that again. I feel like this is a dilemma that's going to continue to come up mm. in my life over the years. And especially when I go through situations of loss, if you lose loved ones, and you know, that's that yeah. always gets those thoughts thinking. I think it goes for everybody too, yeah. whether you're religious or not. I think you Definitely. start having that, you start thinking about those existential problems of, what it you know where did they go what happened to them you know what see what does it continue on are they just done the thing though is because i never had any of those thoughts introduced to me at such a young age and it's never been something that i've really struggled with when my loved ones have passed i never worry about if they're being tortured in hell that never crosses my mind i know that they were good people and in my heart i believe that you know obviously people would disagree with me but for me, it's not ever been a struggle. I'm very comfortable not believing, having no idea, taking a gamble with it. That's interesting, though, because I, although I don't believe in hell and I've never like been concerned about someone that I love being tortured, I still haven't thought of like, where did they go? What if they're, what if there is nothing and they're just in the ground? And that really bothers that me. That I do I have. I really hate thinking I do like, have that. when this, when you close your eyes and you die, that's it. That's it. And uh, all of this was for what i do have that thought i just never worry about them being in hell yeah when you start looking at what's the meaning of your life that's a real that's where it gets tough right Mm -hmm. because if it does all end after this then what is the meaning of life are we here to just exist are we here to just have the best possible ride possible and that's it and that's the point of it love and try to try to leave the better place the world a better place before you go and for me that's how i see it because that's all i truly know that's all i can know for a fact is here and now. 
and what I'm doing to affect people in this moment. I would be interested though, because for those of you who didn't grow up religious, I think it'd be interesting to have you read the religious texts and read or even read just different philosophers sort of points of view on the afterlife and, you know, even situations where it doesn't necessarily involve heaven or hell. I mean, we could be talking about, you could be returning to an energy source, uh, you know, the energy source of the universe or, um, the great nothingness Mm -hmm. and understanding what the nothing, what nothingness is that we all came from nothing, but nothing is clearly something. If we, you can't come from nothing, right? Even though well, that's even the, the great that's yeah, the greatest question of all right. is like how did humans get here? Right. So Julia, how are we supposed to see this? Are we supposed to be factoring in the idea that if, you know, we don't want to live our lives according to the Bible? Yeah. So Blaise Pascal, who created this wager, kind of wanted to use it as um a proof showing that it's plausible or, you know, rational to believe that God exists. And you know, ideally, he's hoping that people will choose to follow God. Yeah. As a result. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so what it's trying to show is that believing in God is the best outcome. But then the objections come in, you know, the many gods theory or, you know, what about reincarnation? What about the possibility that, you know, the afterlife looks different? And so, you know, that's kind of why I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think that this wager is really interesting, though, because it touches on a lot of common anxieties people have about the afterlife and and dying and, you know, the lives that we lead right now. It's such a a common thing. I think even if you're not religious, for me, I grew up in the Catholic Church and I'm not a practicing you know member. Mm-hmm. And I have my own ideas on like, you know, where we go after we die. I'm more of a, you know, we are the universe kind of girl. But those anxieties still creep up like yeah. in the back of my mind because that's what I grew up with and was raised with. It's like, it's always there. Like yeah. hell is real. Like what if I'm doing the wrong thing and yeah. I'm going to go there and it's, it can be really paralyzing. And yeah. I think, yeah, it's interesting because for a lot of people, if you grew up religious, whether or not you still are, like you were saying, that'll always kind of be there. Yeah. I don't think you can ever shake it. I don't think you can cleanse yourself of it. I think the outcome should be edited here. I think number two should say you do believe in God and God isn't real. So therefore you live a happy, free, authentic life of freedom. Yeah. With, I like that option. Yeah, you could do that. Like we're, I would like to say that would be my option right now. But then what if I go to hell after and then I'm burning for eternity, even though I live this beautiful, great, free, happy, whatever life. Yeah. Now, See, that's why I just I refuse to believe that. I don't think I just don't believe in that. Yeah. Well, um, that's the great part too is, <laughs> is you don't yeah. have to. And you can also say, well, I I don't believe in this, that kind of God. I believe in something else. And that's, you know, yeah, that's what's going to happen after we die. So you can think that everything he's saying is bullshit and kind of disregard it. But oh, yeah, I should have said, uh, oh, yeah, don't. I should have changed number three. Sorry, I read number two. But yeah, that would be my my um, my answer to this is number three. You don't believe in God and God isn't real. So nothing happens. And I live my life freely. There's also the possibility, though, that if you do end up in hell, a lot of your favorite people and totally. loved ones will be down That's there. What with you. That's what I'm saying. So too. you want, I mean, the one perk to hell is that you probably won't be alone. <laughs> There'll be a lot Kendall of us down goes there. First, I'm saving you a spot. <laughs> Thank Vice you. Versa. You know, it. I'll have a michelada waiting for you, you know, on you the can, other side. You can all get whipped waiting. together. <laughs> Misery loves company. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's my option. All I know is 
right here and now, I want to live an authentic, free life. And that's more important to me than... It, I know it sounds crazy, but then the gamble of eternity. I've always thought with hell, though, like, why is it that if the devil wants people to go to hell, why would he then torture you and make you hate your life there rather than make it, it be, awesome? Wouldn't it be smarter to like get you to like like him and team up and video games, and that's, alcohol, that's drugs. what's so interesting to me? Yeah, it's like <laughs> sinning, sinning all the, the pleasures of life essentially are okay for the devil yeah why, so wouldn't, why wouldn't he make that his just place continue lit? and just be like more people would go there and that and that's to me <laughs> yeah. that's kind of like one of the problems people one of the problems with hell for me was was that why would he, like what's the point if sinning is like doing these things and some of them are very very bad obviously there's sins that are you know mm-hmm. nobody should be doing but there's also a lot of sins according to the bible that are really aren't that big of a deal and so why would it be that by doing those things you end up in hell and then the devil when you get there is like oh you've been doing all the things that i've been wanting you to do well too fucking bad you're gonna be well, just doesn't the devil eternally just damned. like to be evil and to torture people so right. he enjoys but the, it but the devil's ultimate goal is to overtake god and oh so yeah i see what you so gotta like, give perks why wouldn't he want to build up right. an army of people and like actually try to make himself stronger by having all these people behind him rather than mm. continuing to destroy and break them down so josh what's your final answer here like and this isn't just for the game well i'm curious well okay it is just for the game so say whatever you want okay. i got i got it I you got can it. have a practical answer like what you think in this situation all things considered with his wager what is the right. most prudent what's the most practical rational thing to do and what you would do because obviously yeah i think all of us would say believing in god is the most rational answer but none of our asses would are going actually to do it. every sunday i mean yeah <laughs> yeah i'm doing plenty of things that yeah, God, are, God, according to yeah. the My church, they wouldn't be happy with. practical and rational answer is to not believe in God. Final answer, case closed. What do you think? I think I have to pick one of these options. Yep. Mm. You can have a practical and a rational. Well, so the practical and rational would be in this oh, situation. Oh, right, that's the same. Yeah, but okay. See, ignore me. For, and then in this situation, what you would actually do. Right. Based on, you know, well, I reject this part of his wager as being necessary. If you if you accept all the premises as pre- mm-hmm. premises, what you would choose, probably the rational answer. And then why don't you have a few it. moments to think on it? And you guys I have can... my answer. OK, <laughs> so my practical answer would be to believe in God. Heaven is real. Um, but I obviously don't live that life. So what I, what I am doing is I'm not believing in God and I would hope then that God is not real. Cause I don't want to go to hell or mm. that. I guess that hell is not real. Maybe heaven's real and I'll still go. <laughs> there you go. No, but yeah, I mean, that's in theory, like that's the most logical thing is I don't want to burn in hell forever. So if that's really going to happen, then I should probably get my ass to church after this. Are you going to? Nope. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about you, Julie? I'm curious. I think obviously my practical answer, keeping everything constant in the wager would would be believing in God. Um, And I, you know, my me answer kind of disregarding a lot of some of the things he says because I don't agree with it. I have objections to it. 
would be I believe in God in my own way. Um, so I guess just trying to live my life, you know, keeping those things in mind, what I believe in, mm-hmm. trying to be the best person I can, ideally. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, just trying not to do stuff that, that I think is harmful to others. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just trying to be a good person. Be the best and, person mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. That's yeah. my philosophy. Kind of, kind of really like leaving it in God's hands. Like that yeah. he, he loves his children and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, knows that we're good people. If you're trying to be a good person, yeah, kind of meets you where you're at. And, you know, he, Jesus died for us. And so. Right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Right. Shout out. That's how I see it. I mean, I, I just don't. I can't even comprehend a world where you could be this amazing person, do all these incredible things, help others and impact the world and then be sent to hell. And like, that just I do not believe that on the opposite, like do these horrific things, kill people, abuse people, yep. steal, lie, cheat, whatever. And then like before, Kenneth Copeland. Right. That he gets to go to heaven. Right. Or just murderers in general who are like, yeah. oh, but then I found God right before I die. Right. Like what? No, it's too fucking yeah. late. So you're I telling agree. me that you get to go and I don't yeah, because even I didn't if, go to church all the time. But yep. I, you know, I believe that I'm a good person. I believe everyone in this room is a good person. And so therefore, in theory, we should all be going to heaven regardless. Exactly. That's why I can't believe. I just don't believe in it. All right, Josh, back to you. Final <laughs> answer. Right here and right now. Um, I think for me personally, I've through my experiences and life in general have kind of come to the conclusion that. I do believe in a God, and I use that term loosely. Similar, similar to what, the way Julia thinks, I'd say, is kind of my answer. But I think it's far more complicated than what anybody's ever even realized and understands. And what even the greatest philosophers of all time, it's far more complex than they ever thought. Because, I mean, you got to think about he was making this wager with the information he had at the time. Mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting to hear an updated version of this, yeah. you know, with all the things that we know now and just how much how much bigger a universe is. And it, the way that the Bible lays things out makes everything way too simple, in my opinion. It's like it's either this or it's that. And it's like God wrote the rules on some stone tablets. And there you go. End of story. This is what you follow. This is this is the the way, though. But it's like what we've realized about the universe and about life in itself is that it's far more complex than, than this. It's not that simple. And there's way there's gray areas everywhere. And so you can't, there's no way to live your life because that's the thing, right? Is that no matter how much of a believer you are, what religion you are, we are all the same. It's not be. it's some people think that because they are religious or they believe a certain ideology that they're somehow like higher than another person. And I think that's what bothered me the most about church and you know my personal experience is that I, I ran into a lot of people because they believed in god and followed it to a t and were choosing option number one here that they are somehow a better human being than i am even if i'm only a few pegs down and yeah. i think that's what really bothered me is because it's creating this hierarchy that should yeah. never exist mm-hmm. and then when you look at the churches themselves there's hierarchies within the church across all religions there's always somebody at the top and there's always those at the bottom. And the way that I understand the religious texts and, and the Bible is that that's not the way it, that's not the way it was meant to be. That's not the way that God or Jesus would have ever wanted it. I mean, Jesus literally went in the temples and turned the tables over and like 
there's so many examples of where he was like, this is not how it should be. Mm-hmm. This It's supposed to be so much simpler than that. And I think that's where it gets lost for me is where I still believe that there is, I do believe in God. It's just maybe different than what some, you know, a Christian might A think. higher power. You I know, do too. A higher power. And, I do too. And that, because God is a very, I mean, it's a very loose term. You could apply that to a lot of things, C- apply it to a creator. I don't think that there's just, I don't think this is all just random and by chance and we're all just kind of a part of this weird experiment that's going on and that's how it is. So I would say that, yeah, I, that's the thing is I would still go with number one probably, but I would, I, I would interpret it a little bit differently from the way that I guess Pascal would, you know, I'd kind of modernize it a little bit and be like, I think you can still believe in God, be a good person, still live your life to the to your fullest potential and still ultimately achieve heaven in the end. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's what I believe. It's just does anybody have the right description for that? Is there actually instructions for this? I don't believe so. I don't think we're I don't believe anybody to. I don't believe anybody knows the 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 100% steps cuz has anybody gone to heaven, come back to earth <laughs> other than Jesus in the Bible which was thousands of years ago? And has anybody done that in the last? Well, some people would argue they have. There are stories and books out there of people who believe they like near death experiences. Yeah, but and, but, but those, you have to take their word for it. Like, right. there's no one out there. Who's but there's like, nobody. Right. <laughs> right. Like, Look at me, my selfie with Jesus that I met. <laughs> Here's my room key from heaven. Yeah. Right. Nobody's got that. Right. Is what I'm saying is that everybody's had everybody has experiences that you could say oh, that was heaven, that was the afterlife, but yeah. they don't really know. You're just experiencing something, and what are we all supposed to just take each other's experiences for reality? If that were the case, yeah, shit would be wild, man. Mm-hmm. If we're all like, "Oh my god, that's real!" You had a dream about this three-headed monster that was no, like that's that's not reality. That's not something that we've experienced here in the flesh. So I think I don't know. I'm probably getting carried away here, but that's how I got Sherry Shriner, though. She was one of, <laughs> one of the head angels, right? That's true. He came back, gave us the scoop, and. Yeah, mm-hmm. true that. Mm. And look, there you go. Look at the people who do claim <laughs> yeah. that they. You want to follow Sherry? Were appointed by God. Never ends well. Interesting. So, in the last philosophy episode, we talked about uh, Robert Nozick's experience machine. Yep. Oh, yes. Right. And one thing that came up, it was sort of about what is a life full of pleasure? Is that the life what? that we want to live that is only pleasure? stuff like that Mm -hmm. do you guys remember what your thoughts on that like would you plug into the experience machine and Mm -hmm. get to you know live all this live out your dreams eternal bliss but you're actually in reality in a pod floating in water or whatever yeah i'd say no and the whole argument of like okay well if you are only experiencing good then how good really is the good because you have nothing bad to compare it to Mm -hmm. the value of experiencing bad things yeah well yeah right so this this one kind of plays off of that Yeah. So it's about something that, you know, we're all very familiar with because we were just talking about it and that's heaven. Mm -hmm. And when you think of heaven, what do you think that would be like? Would you be sad at any point in heaven or would it be eternal bliss? Because when people talk about heaven, you know, in religion, especially it's it's, eternal bliss. It's eternal bliss. There is no crying. There is no heartache. There's none of that. Mm -hmm. It's pure bliss. 
And I think it's interesting because when we talk about a life worth living, a life with meaning, what we would want on earth, there's suffering because it, it, has, it, it gives our life meaning and texture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Will heaven be meaningfully blissful in any sort of like real sense? Like would it get old? Would it get old? And, and are you actually happy? Yeah. Mm. Well, it's like your endorphin levels are going to be, your serotonin levels are going to be what, through the roof all the time? And that's that's the hard part is like, depending on whose definition of heaven you're looking at, that could look differently for various different groups. And the way that I, I always understood it was heaven is a place where you are not inhabiting your physical body from earth. And it's where your it's essentially where your soul goes in in essence, but the way that it's described is also like you're still in a humanoid form. You know, I, I sang a lot of Bible songs growing up and be like, uh, Jesus lives in a big, big house with lots and lots of room and there's food and there's like football out in the yard. Oh, and like, it's, it's this very earthly that's how to get the Americans. look at, yeah, it's just yeah. very, and like in, as a kid, you're like, Oh hell yeah, that sounds amazing. Like, <laughs> pizza every Heaven, day yeah. i can eat pizza every day and play football with my friends and we just all have a good time like that obviously sounds amazing it's like the ultimate bliss but as you get older you start thinking through that a little bit more and you're like hmm what would that actually look like and how would that differ from how i experience it here and how would it actually be better and, and that's the thing is like i guess you're you're also taking consideration you're now experiencing a closeness with your creator that you've never been able to experience before that. So it's beyond the connection that you could have with your creator here while on earth. So once you get to heaven, you're actually in the Lord's residence where, where he is. And so the level it's like, I I don't know. And that's the hard part is like, is that physical happiness that you're feeling? Is it just, you are at peace and everything is just blissful it's a real it's a really really hard question honestly i think the it's thing about not only would we get bored because you think about all the stuff that you know if i go to heaven i want to see these people i want to do these things with right them. i want to do these things fly or i don't know breathe underwater you know stuff i can't even comprehend that i wasn't able to do in my mortal body and it's like i could probably spend so many lifetimes just checking that all off and then doing it again and again after that. But the question is, I mean, it's forever. Think about yeah. 100 billion years times 20 times a million times a billion. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a long, long time. Will you run out of stuff to do? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. What do you what do you do in that? <laughs> what do you do in that situation? You're you've been alive for 100 million gazillion years and you're like, I'm I'm bored. You're gonna call yeah. God and sounds like terrible. Hey God, um, I've been flying a lot lately and I'm bored as fuck. Can you provide something else? <laughs> I think Well, I think it also lends to like what's the point? Right. What mm-hmm. is the point? To live in an eternity with him, but then what? What does that look like? I, I I remember my mom always saying that to me. Like it'd be like in our prayer every night, I'd be like, you know, live in in eternity with him. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great and all, but like what does that actually look like? And this is the thing, this question exactly 
pretty much got me thrown out of the church because you bring this question to your pastor and you start you ask him this question watch how fast they get upset with you what question exactly the this? question questioning heaven mm-hmm. just questioning heaven and presenting this this idea that well heaven sounds great and all but if i'm there for eternity aren't i going to get bored what the hell am i going to do there obviously i'll be with my loved ones and <laughs> you know we can have a few family dinners but it's like what are we going to do that over and over and over and that's where it <laughs> just dinners. that's what really frustrates i think a lot of, a lot of pastors is when you do get to this level of think i mean this is requiring a high level of thinking to really think about cuz you're deconstructing this you're deconstructing the idea of heaven and the afterlife and you're really looking at it objectively as opposed to just blindly believing in what you've been told and what a text says but instead you're actually diving in deeper and trying to figure out okay well what does that actually look like would that actually be great because that's the thing i think there's a lot of and i I can't remember a lot of the the bible bible verses and and chapters around heaven and exactly the way that it describes it but i think this is a very valid question like what what would you do and i and i think somebody who is a leader in 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 christianity would probably say well you're you're not factoring in what it would be like to be so close to your maker and to to jesus and be in the presence of the almighty god it's something un, it's something that we can't comprehend as mortal humans here on earth and therefore you have to believe in the fact that once you get there things are going to things are going to be completely different for you and you're not going to have the need or the thought pop in your head of yeah. this is boring i'm not running out of things to do you're just going to be kind of like plugged into the hive so to speak of this like hive mind that is god and once you're there there is no unplugging there you kind of lose independence to some extent of who you are because you're kind of plugged into the bigger family yes i don't know this is kind of the way i i i, I imagine it is like god is this like beehive and you're all in this hive together and god is the queen bee right <laughs> and we're an all kind of just like it. working within the hive mm. and you kind of just you know you might be this independent bee but when you join the hive you leave all that behind and you join in with the greater mission there, and that's worshiping your your God. I wonder then, mm. there's people have also raised the question, what if my loved ones, what if one of them does something really bad and they end up in hell and I go to heaven and, you know, you check your little watch and it's been 150 years and they should be ideally up there by now and they're not. Like, mm. is it really heaven if, I'm not people. as happy because someone I love is not there. Even if mm-hmm. even if they did something horrible. I mean, probably even Ted Bundy's mom still loves him deep down and would want mm. him there with her. Interesting thought. Right. So it's yeah. like the thought of someone that you care about burning in hell is would probably take away from my heaven experience yeah yeah no i totally agree with that but i believe based on the way that it's described is that you don't have the capacity to even think that way that your range of emotions so you're like brainwashed well you you're you're not worried about what's going on outside of heaven at that point and 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 that's the thing for me is like i don't know how much like seeing your family members is really part of the goal there like i think in our minds it's like 
that would be nice to be able to see your grandparents have passed and meet all of your ancestors and everything like that and have this big old family reunion in heaven. But I don't think, I don't think that's like the ultimate goal. I think that might be a perk, but I think that's not necessarily like for us here on earth. That's obviously like, Oh, that's a great reason to believe in heaven is like, it's see my loved ones again. But I don't think that's like the ultimate goal there. The ultimate goal is not to just go be with your loved ones, but to be with the one that loves you above all, you know, you, you talk to any, you talk to any Christians and what's the hierarchy for them? God, family, Mm. football. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Just kidding. But God, family, and then themselves or, you know, something else. And so God is always above the family, even over your spouse, even over your son, daughter, that God takes precedence over all of those things. I just can't understand that mindset. But I feel like a lot of people who are religious, um, when they experience a loss of a loved one, they immediately are like, oh, well, they're in a better place. I'll meet them again till we meet again. I know that, you know, you'll be waiting for me up there. And I think that they use that a lot for comfort. So in my opinion, it does seem like it's a, it's a very big piece, whether or not they really like believe it i don't know that's a good point but i think they certainly use it as a crutch to some extent and i hope be reunited that doesn't sound like offensive but you know what i mean yeah i think a lot of people are like oh well i know i'll see them again this is just a temporary goodbye and they're Mm -hmm. waiting for me up there and which i tend to tell myself that too not in heaven but i do too or whatever heaven is i always feel like i will somehow you reconnected or that their spirit is like always with me or something yeah. along those lines mm-hmm. so i can i definitely can see how that's comforting to people the next topic we're going to get into is the problem of evil and this is something that has vexed you know theists and atheists like it's it's a lot but the central question is if evil exists how is it that god exists or how can it be possible or plausible that God exists. So generally, the logical problem of evil assumes three things about God. That first, he is omniscient or omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He knows Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Two, that he's omnipotent. So he's all-powerful. He can do anything. You know, you hear people talk about miracles and God, all things are possible. Creation. Mm -hmm. Yep. And three, lastly, omnibenevolent. So perfectly good, morally perfect, you know, he's loving totally and completely. It's those three things, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnibenevolent. At the same time, clearly evil exists, not just evil, but like unspeakable evil in this world exists. So how can those three things be possible at the same time? It seems that it's not compatible with at least one or multiple of those three omnis. Like God couldn't create evil? Well, he Is could, that... but like, why? If he's omnibenevolent, why would he? If he's all loving, why would he want? If he's perfectly good and moral, then why would he create evil? And if he's all knowing and all powerful, I mean, like he, he's the most powerful being in the world. Why would he choose to create evil if he's also perfectly good and moral? So if he's if he does create evil, he's not. Perfectly good and moral. And if he if it's if it doesn't come from him, then that would mean someone else, something else has the power to create evil. And either he allows it to happen, which would make him not 
perfectly good or he can't stop it, which is a huge problem because then he's not omnipotent. He's not all powerful. And if it's, you know, outside mm-hmm. of his purview, if he doesn't know about it, I mean, that would just make him not omniscient. Okay. But don't many people see it as if the devil was the one who created evil? How did he get that power if the if God created the devil? Why would God create the devil? Well, okay. I don't know much about the Bible, but the devil was an angel at first, right? And then a fallen angel went down to hell. What, what was his angel name? <laughs> Lucifer. Oh, that was his? Okay, so he just kept the same name? Yep. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, biblically, uh, let me explain how this looks biblically. Because obviously, when I hear all of those things, I go immediately to Genesis, like literally first chapter of the Bible, right? We're talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth, the universe, essentially earth, humans. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. Not Adam and oh, Steve. Oh, right. Adam and Eve. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, that, that, my parents always used to say that to me. Really? That is so God, My dad would be that. like, oh. it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God, and that's like, terrible. Dude. Yeah. Okay, anyways. So going back to the creation story, God could have created a perfect universe, a perfect world, but what? But it's kind of like when he set, but it also, it still goes back to the problem of God maybe he isn't all powerful because if that were the case, he could control anything he creates. Can he not? It would make sense. So when he created Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. Right. They ate the apple. They ate the apple from the serpent. Mm-hmm. And that went directly. That was like orders from God was to not eat anything in the garden of Eden. And they ate the apple. They were tempted by the devil and they, ate. and basically Adam and Eve fucked it up for all of us for eternity. They screwed up and therefore that's why we live in the world that we do is because they they rebelled against God. And ate an apple. But that but this is the thing is that God created humans in likeness of him but he didn't create them in 100% likeness of him. Had that been the case, the rebellion would have never happened in the garden of Eden. Instead he gave us free will, which will be the next thing that we talk about after the problem of evil. They he gave humans free will. And with our free will, we made a bad decision by eating the apple. And therefore, that set the precedence for all human civilization. So in theory, God kind of created the world as his own experiment or like a simulation in a way. Well, he wanted to create creatures that would love him. But also have the power to make the decision to not instead of and robots to go against him. Well, it's like, what's the purpose of creating this vast universe, all these planets, Where you have Earth perfect. complicated, and it's all perfect, and it provides no meaning to God. Versus mm, if God he created versus which is interesting. That's a whole other thing to, in, to to dive into is why does God need need meaning from us? But he created us to worship him and to and in turn, it's this mutually beneficial relationship. You believe in me and everything that I did for you, and therefore I will bless you with life after death. Hmm. Okay, but there's still pro- there's still problems with that. That's the that's the thing is like he allowed evil to exist, and multiple times throughout the Bible, the evil gets so bad that they're like, we got to wipe the slate clean because it's getting <laughs> too bad out there. Why would he be doing that though? Why would he For allow? Because <laughs> he's bored. Yeah, heaven's boring. <laughs> we just talked about that. True, <laughs> but I don't understand if he is 
the all-knowing, the most powerful being in the entire universe. He can do anything and everything. A, why would you create evil? And B, if you create it and it's getting so bad, just make it stop then. And why do we still have evil to this day? Just make evil stop. If he can do it, flip the switch. It's part of his experiment. Why is he trying to have an experiment on us, though? I think the biggest problem comes in with the the omnibenevolence is if he's perfectly good, why is there so much evil? Right. Mm. God is the most pure thing in the entire universe. Okay, so then why is this, at least this earth, so fucked up in so many ways? And in the Bible, it states that he is all these things, omnibenevolent, omnipotent. It's a new word to me. This is generally kind of the... It's just what people believe. Yeah, the conception of, I'm not, you know, don't know the Bible front front to back as I maybe should, but um, <laughs> generally, this is, you know, this, this is what they taught us growing up, that God is everywhere, everywhere at all times. So, you know, he's he's got your back at all times is kind of what they were telling us because there's nowhere that he's not and that he can do anything. He is all powerful and he's perfect and he's loving. He's He's perfectly loving. And he wants nothing but the best for you and but only let that happen. But but he's not. But based if, he, on... if he wants the best for you, then why are why is there so much suffering in this world? So some of the defenses kind of vindicating God's perfect goodness on like theological grounds are called theodicies. And they try to kind of provide a framework for how God and evil can coexist, sort of a justification for that. And one of those is the soul making theodicy, where suffering is, you know, a part of God's plan because, you know, when you suffer, it, it brings you spiritually closer to Him and, you know, makes you a more spiritually developed person, kind of yeah. brings you closer to Him, makes you more ready for communion with God in the afterlife. Which I think is true. I think whether it's with God or just spiritually in general, I think when you experience hardships in life, you're more apt to turn to your spiritual side. And a lot of people that go through really hard things and events and struggles tend to look for greater meaning in their life to get them out of that. And I saw that, I saw that over and over and over again. Right. Versus people that never, you know, live a very like, easy life, don't have a lot of struggles and things like that. It's it's kind of a different story for for people like that. It's interesting too, in Catholicism, there is the concept of, it's like a theodicy, you know, redemptive suffering, that when we suffer, we are kind of co-suffering as Jesus did when we crucified him. Right. Mm-hmm. And not only are we redeeming ourselves through our suffering, we're redeeming others just as he redeemed all of us mm-hmm. when he died on the cross. Interesting. But yeah, Jesus dying on the cross like completely changed everything because prior to that, we had no. uh, So the way that it's kind of laid out is like God, God created us, God created humans and everything and life on this earth. And it really is kind of like an experiment, really. He really like conducted an experiment of I want to create other intelligent beings in my likeness that will. We'll see if they'll love and you know, after I do all this for them, will they still love me and honor me and um, worship me? And basically, and thanks for giving you this life and everything. And what he found was over time, 
people weren't doing that. People realized sinning's fun. Sinning's great. I'm having a good time. I'm, you know, I mean, he wiped out a whole, whole city because it was too lit. If you know the story <laughs> of uh, Solomon uh, Gomorrah, turned it to uh, salt, I believe. To salt. Yeah, like completely decimated this this because it was like it sounded like Vegas. Oh, like Vegas in the Bible, like literally so why Sin isn't City, Vegas, salt. <laughs> Well, and I mean, <laughs> why don't we see any of these things happening in today's day and age? That's a good All question. All these old stories. That's a good question. He just was like, well, enough because, is enough. Well, because of after Jesus died. So that's the thing is like before that, God was kind of like, why isn't this going the way that I expected? This is kind of weird. So he kind of like wiped the slate clean a couple of times. The flood, according to the Bible, was he was upset with the way people were living and he wanted to kind of wipe it out and start over again. And you know, there's been sort of this cataclysmic events to help bring that about. But then he got to a point where he's like, I'm going to send my only son, Jesus, down to the earth. So I've been conducting business from up here in, you know, wherever, whatever realm he's in and communicating through his prophets through different ways. And so he was like, I'm going to send a human being to earth to basically spread the good word and, and enlighten everybody on how they should be living and what's the right way to do this. And, you know, that we should be thankful for our father in heaven that he created us and takes care of us. And so when he got here and then the whole story of Jesus and you get into the whole crucifixion and everything, that was the turning point in human history. And that's where God, after Jesus died for Jesus died for our sins for the rest of eternity, like everybody that comes on this earth, it goes back to Jesus dying on the cross. Like, doesn't matter what year you're born in after he did that, that he did all that for all the people to come so that he will take away your sins. Doesn't matter who you are for the rest of human civilization. And so that's what it goes back to is from that, that turning point there. And that's why you don't see events, God wiping it, which maybe that's true. Maybe that's not, maybe there would be events where he would, you know, cataclysmic things that happen here on earth or throughout space or the universe. Could that be God kind of doing some of those things again? I don't know, but that's just a real like rough, rough synopsis of the whole story, I guess. I mm. think the next thing we'll get into really is the evidential problem of evil, because the logical problem is trying to say, you know, God being omnipotent, omnibenevolent, omniscient and evil existing, logically speaking, cannot exist coexist together but the evidential problem of evil is more saying with all the suffering that we know exists in the world the horrible suffering it's not plausible that god exists or not not rational and there's a couple responses to this um because before we talked about the soul making theodicy where you know god wants us to to suffer to grow in our spirituality and that suffering teaches us something it's important and mm -hmm. no doubt on some level we agree with that but there's there's two issues people take with that is natural evils like childhood cancer or tornadoes or hurricanes that have no, they're not necessarily, you know, we talk about climate change and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but caused by humans directly, like. Right. Um, we, you know, because those are tornadoes and hurricanes have been around since, you know. The beginning acts of, of God, basically. And how do those things advance our, our spirituality and. Right. What is. Force us to grow. Right, that and animal suffering, which mm. there is plenty of animal suffering 
you know, they're not moral agents in the same way that we are. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not going to heaven according to, you know, Mm. theological teaching. So that's very interesting. I was going to ask about that. So there is nothing in the Bible about what happens to animals. Do you get to take your pets? Do certain animals go or, you know, growing up as they tell the kids, maybe that your dog's going to heaven. But once you got older, they're like, yeah, actually there's, you know, animals don't really go to heaven. That's like not a thing. Okay. Um, it doesn't the Bible never really addresses that question directly. Hmm. There's not like a direct So innocent beings like children who haven't been able to think through this stuff yet make their own decisions or haven't been even presented the option to have a decision on it. Well, what's like, the point of them suffering? Why why would God allow an innocent child to have a, a terminal illness where they they won't be able to grow up there innocent they did nothing wrong? What what is the point of that? What does that teach them? You know, yeah. It it seems it's just an evil that why would a loving God allow that? This is a really really tough question that a lot of pastors that I've encountered don't really want to speak to because it is I mean, no matter which way you answer this, somebody's going to be upset by it. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the questions I asked you when we first started dating and you were still grappling with religion and i brought this up to you on the phone one night when we were in high school remember mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember what my answer would have been but I, I just remember you were kind of shook by it and trying to trying well, to justify I'll, it, I'll just explain it the way that somebody in this situation who was a who is a christian would would explain it and that yeah. would be that everything happens for a reason and as horrible as it is to have a child suffer from this terminal illness that perhaps god has a greater plan for them and that maybe their their plan was to never spend that much time here on earth but rather be with him sooner or maybe there's something else that they need god needs them to do but what about for animals that doesn't apply well animals don't animals are not privy to the whole concept of salvation and everything they, they are not able to right. make moral decisions animals That's what I'm don't saying. have so why morality. why make them suffer for no reason because i think we can all agree that animals are capable of suffering and yes absolutely they feel emotion and pain and right depression but and everything else do they make moral dis- do they feel morally like they're some somebody's doing something morally harmful to them are they able to make a decision like that, or are they just? I don't. Are they just I don't know. Experiencing but either feeling? way, they're still experiencing suffering for no reason. Like, what is the reason for that? Why would God allow that? Is the question. And because, I would love because to know. the the answer is animals are down here and we're up here. So period, why make them blank. suffer? There's no reason. Why would a perfect, all loving, all powerful God force animals to suffer when there is no point? Well, why are they suffering? Because of. They're not going to heaven. The circumstances of the world. Right, but there's no point. That God there, created. There's no point to their life. There's no benefit that they bring to So why the greater, make them suffer? Because, su- the because suffering exists in all living creatures. So, so God created it, though. Why did he create suffering for animals? But we don't. How do you know they're suffering? No, that's the thing. You have you ever asked an animal, "Are you suffering?" Okay, and so you like, see I'm a starving suffering. animal that's dying with ticks and cancer and whatever else. Are they sitting? We there know thinking, they're suffering. I'm suffering. 
Yeah. We're perceiving that they're suffering, but are they actually yes, suffering? I believe they believe they know that they're suffering. <laughs> so they know what pain is. They know they have emotions. So why would any perfect loving God... The same reason God, why any human would be suffering. No, it's different though, because they say that, you know, you suffer and stuff to evolve spiritually and so that you can believe more in God or go to heaven or whatever the reason is. But with animals, it doesn't apply at all because there is no reason for them to suffer. So why would God make them suffer for no reason if he but is they're a perfect, suffering as a God. result of what? Us humans. Well, God created humans. God creates right. everything. So God gives us free will to make animals suffer if we want to. So I think this is kind of, uh, you know, brings the discussion to an interesting point that people bring up. A lot of times people might say, well, you know, animal suffering is a, a part of redempted, redemptive suffering because the whole world suffers kind of as, as Jesus did. But, you know, it does bring in the question of, well, if there's no salvation for them, what's the point? And, you know, maybe it's to teach us something, you know, provide some sort mm -hmm. of purpose to us but that then brings me into this kind of hypothetical situation you know, and stuff like this happens every day you know you can imagine you know a baby deer in woods untouched by man it's attacked by a wolf and before it's killed before the wolf can take any sort of nutritional value from it a tree falls it runs away sadly the baby deer suffers and dies an agonizing death the wolf you know was not sustained by any of it's, you know, nutrition or whatever. And, you know, it eventually decays. No human ever comes around to even see the bones. So no human knows that this act has even right. taken place. Which happens all the time. So even just think about forest that fires that wipe out animal. You know, we yes, we don't necessarily we see know it, it happens, but we don't we're not we don't see it all unfold. But so it's still happening. What's the point of it? They're Why a part of this because they're a part of this larger organism that's constantly causing different, like different things. To, I mean, the fact that there's tornado, it, it, I think it all goes back to the same thing of like a tornado happens and wipes out stuff. It causes things to suffer, doesn't it? Animals, people. So it's just, it's one of those things that just is occurring kind of autonomously and there's no, rhyme or reason for it it's just kind of all happening uh, that it's not necessarily like this planned out thing because the way that i understand it is like people are more important than everything else that on this hierarchy of what's important to god we're at the top the animals are are not at the same level as we are mm. and so if animal like the earth is destroying itself it's constantly like Volcanoes are erupting, causing mass destruction, and then there's new life that happens. Like there's this constant cycle of of life. The cycle of life is very real. And well, I, I believe in the cycle of life, and I I understand why those things happen in my own understanding of it. But I can't wrap my head around a God who is all perfect and all powerful and loving, creating those things. That's why I believe that there is no specific. God and, in traditional sense. I also, to bounce off of you, like, okay, so why are we sitting here in a nice climate controlled area and we have food and water and shelter and love? And there are people out there who are in other parts of the world who are suffering immensely, who have never had shelter, who have no food, who are starving of disease. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and we're living at the same time while we're here recording a podcast under a roof. They're out on the other side of the planet suffering, dying, starving. Why? Like, why is God allowing them to do that? And also, my other question is, what happens to people who never even have the opportunity to learn about God and make the decision of like, yes, I will be religious or no, I will not be religious and they die, do they go to hell too? Even though it wasn't their fault, no one ever introduced them to God or gave them an option to try and believe in it or not believe in it. Like, why are we Mm -hmm. allowed to live such different experiences under the same God at the same time? That's always the main point that has gotten me when it comes to religion. that I've never been able to believe it because that doesn't make any sense to me. And I just don't, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) And that's what I brought up to you when we were younger too, is like, children in other parts of the world who have not been introduced to the Christian version of God, they do they just go to hell and they're eternally tortured? This makes no sense. I think what's interesting, too, is when you think about, I think a lot of people can agree that, again, suffering makes our lives meaningful and it teaches us, teaches us stuff. And I think a lot of people can get kind of on board with the idea of redemptive suffering and mm-hmm, things like mm-hmm. that. The question is, you know, why why does god why can't we just have suffering that's like you know a partner cheating on you or you know your house getting broken into or something you know on that level of suffering why does it have to be why 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 does there exist things like genocide or the horrors of war like mm-hmm. why do people have to what argument can you make that they have to suffer that that hard like that intensely that face that agonizing suffering when, you know, ideally you would want people to, you know, face the quote unquote, like normal suffering, ideal, mm-hmm. not ideal is the right word, but you get what I'm saying. You know, yeah, why would a God lower level suffering than, than what we, we know that exists in the world, you yeah. know, just the evil that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, this whole, whole question, this whole problem of evil has led me to believe that it's far more complex than what the Bible possibly explains. Because, I mean, to answer your question about what about those that never have the opportunity to hear about God or the Bible or Jesus, if they die, where do they go? And according to Scripture, everyone will have an opportunity to be presented with the evidence for God and choose to whether or not they believe in it. So they they believe they go to like a limbo if they haven't had the opportunity. Sort of, yeah. Like there's there's a couple different ways to interpret the scripture, but one is I believe those that potentially grow up in it because like that wouldn't be fair, right? It wouldn't be fair for those who never heard the Bible or the story of Jesus or anything, never had the opportunity to believe to just be like Mm -hmm. live their life and then all of a sudden they die and they just go straight to hell and they're like, whoa, whoa, where am I and why this happened? I've never heard this explanation of they get. They get filled in after they die and then they so get to make a choice. So there's that they would have like a leg up on everyone else. Right. Well, and that's what that's the other problem is people bring up, well, what if we just don't spread the word of God and everybody just doesn't know about God and therefore we're all given the opportunity? Because it comes back to G- the last time Jesus was here on the earth, that's when, you know, we've got all all of the New Testament of the Bible. That's where we've got all of his apostles talking about what they learned from Jesus and all these different things and how to live your life. And so the Bible also speaks about the second coming of Christ, which, 
you know, we're getting into the the rapture and, you know, getting pretty deep into it. But the idea is that Jesus is going to make a return to this earth and he's going to show everybody that he's real and he's coming back to get those that believe in him to bring them to heaven with him. And then that will be another opportunity for those that don't believe to believe. And I've always thought, I'm like, if that happens, then I, I will probably be the first one to be like, I believe 100%. If a rapture happen, happens and all of a sudden a bunch well, of people disappear, right? Well, that's the thing. But according to, there will still people be people that reject the idea of God and the idea of, of the rapture. Why and so, and that's the thing is, so then Jesus will come back a third time, basically like at the end of days, because shit gets real after yeah, the rapture. One more chance. There's one more chance. But that's at that point is when all those people that died who never knew Jesus and never had ever even heard of him before, get the opportunity to choose whether or not they believe with him. And according to scripture, I believe it says they, God will resurrect them to their physical form and allow them to make that decision. That's what it says. But that's getting really, really deep into it. But that, that, there isn't, there's explanations for everything, but a lot of it doesn't seem very plausible. You're like, mm. and there's still holes you can poke. Totally. And that's that's the difficult thing that I have with people that are like, I only follow what the Bible says and I live my life by the Bible. Well, the Bible's got a lot of holes in it and a lot of things that are very yeah. iffy. Which right? to clarify, obviously, if you do, if you are whatever religion you are, we accept your belief and your right to believe Doesn't those change things. what I think no, about you. No. Everybody's entitled to believe. I mean, I could believe And you in, could be right. We could be wrong. I'm a star seed from... Uh, <laughs> you know, some planet and I'm here to seed my DNA. Yeah, that's your right as a human. To so experience it's like what you everybody's want. allowed to experience what they want. I'm just saying based on my understanding of the Bible and, and what I've read, I feel that there's, and, and I think, and I think, and I have asked pastors about this stuff before and they, it literally comes down to, you just have to have faith in God. You have, your faith has to be strong enough in order to deal with these thoughts and these doubts that you have in your mind. So since we're talking about the freedom to believe what we want at the end of the day, let's get into free will here mm -hmm. and wrap up with that. Yeah, the free will defense is actually kind of a response to the logical problem of evil. And the response would be, well, God created us to have free will because, and he's still maximally good because giving us free will was the maximally good option. He thought it was better, maximally better to have us have freedom than for us to not not have free or to not have freedom. So I guess I'd ask like what what do you guys think of that? Do you think that that's a convincing kind of solution to the problem that well God gave us free will because it was the maximally good option or is that not convincing? And that's why evil exists is because he gave us free will. I think if you're looking at it from the perspective we have been, I think free will is the reason why we have evil. But from my own personal point of view, I don't think I don't think it's even that simple of like because we have free will, there's evil. I think I think it goes all the way to the very fabric of everything. Talking about the universe and you look at the energy that is in the universe. I think you know, if you're one of those people who believes in the universe and believes in the cause, this cosmic body of energy, and you look at energy itself, it's full of positive and negative electrons and energy is, there's a balance. 
you know and you could even look at it like star wars in essence that there's you know the dark side and the light side i think because if you don't have one or the other how does the other exist right and you look at yin and yang and things like that there's and you look at a lot of cultures and the way that they view things and almost in every single one there's always light with the dark Mm. and i don't think you can have one without the other i don't think I I think evil has to exist for us to know what is good and it doesn't necessarily just come down to free will that we we get to choose whether or not we are good or we're evil but this just inherently exists it's just part of the fabric of of the universe is positive and negative and we're full we're made up of atoms of both types of energy and so I think it's just kind of the way that the whole thing's designed I don't think it necessarily has to deal deal with free will per se that's where it starts i think that's part of our experience is is free will and the fact that we have the ability to do whatever we want and we can do nice things or we can do evil things and you believe this is a universal law right yes i agree and that means that there has to be evil beings out there as well right beyond our planet do you think that would potentially make god not omnibenevolent and all loving though yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. If there is a god, I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, they they have multiple motivations behind it because clearly that whatever that entity is had to have created evil and had to have come up with the idea of things are born and things die. Yeah. Cuz if you look at the universe, galaxies, stars are born and they die. Cosmic entities, the largest things in the entire expanse of space, both live and they die. Mm-hmm. So I think because it extends that far, I think that's on purpose and by design. I do too. And that's why I, be- I do believe in a higher power, higher creator, however you want to look at it. And I believe that we are designed as humans to experience everything, good, bad, in between. And that's why traditional religious text doesn't resonate with me. Because it's it contradicts itself that it says, right? God is all these things, itself. yet it doesn't make sense with how reality actually shakes out. Well, it's a lot easier to believe in this when you go back thousands of years ago when we didn't necessarily know what we know now, and we didn't necessarily know how what the space around our planet looks like, and what you know the fact that we've been able to get glimpses deep, deep into the universe. I, I think astronomy and just space in general for me really opened my eyes to just how big everything is and how small we are and how insignificant Mm -hmm. because the bible really talks up this idea that you are this significant being right you're crucial to the existence of this planet and to everything around you but then when you actually remove that and you take a step back and look at things from a larger perspective and you zoom out a little bit you start realizing like we are are tiny yep we are specks in the grand expanse of the universe we are in a tiny solar system in a smaller galaxy and there's millions and millions of galaxies mm-hmm. and and that's that's where it really started breaking down for me is because when you start and this is why Chris, a lot of christians do not believe in the idea of aliens. They don't believe in the idea of extraterrestrials because that creates a whole other problem there. Because then it's like, well, as far as what the Bible says, Bible never mentioned extraterrestrials or aliens or the fact that Jesus also went to this planet and that planet, but we know that there's other 
planets out there. We know that for a fact. We've literally got pictures of yep. them. We we're able no. to study them. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's where the Bible really breaks down for me is that it's it's only written for this planet and for the people on this planet. But our universe is so much bigger than that. So what about all these other places that God created? Well, like Kenneth Copeland, you got to go out and preach to the aliens too. Convert them all. You try. But that's a, that was Creflo Dollar. That's oh, it. was it Creflo? If you How thought it was bad, I'm asking. Yeah, if you thought it was My bad, bad, I'm asking for a plane. Just, just wait till I. Oh right, it was Creflo. Now I remember. Bringing mm-hmm. Jesus space mm-hmm. shuttle to Mars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I need money for that. <laughs> but when you look at the argument of free will, it's you could look at it. Why? Why did God give us free will? Is it for Him to like kind of watch everything unfold? It, it is kind of this idea of the simulation theory. When you really think about it, it's like God mm-hmm. is running this computer simulation on his simulation on his computer mm-hmm. and it's all we're all a part of it. And he's kind of set these rules in place and there's, you know, you have the option to be good or bad. And he's sitting back kind of just watching everything unfold. Because, again, it's like if God is all knowing, all merciful, powerful, why doesn't he intervene more? Why doesn't he stop the unfair things from happening to, to good people or bad things happening to good people? I was like, my biggest question is why do good things? Bad things happen to good people. Some of the best people on this planet experience the absolute yes. worst situations and tragedies. And you're like, why? There's also the question of if God is both omnibenevolent and omnipotent, doesn't he have the power to create a maximally good universe where we only freely choose to do good things? Is that possible? A lot of people have different thoughts about that, but I'm wondering. But it wouldn't be fun for him. It'd be entertaining. <laughs> but he would all ultimately get what he wants in that world. He would get yeah, so everybody like, that worships worships, worships him and loves him. Well, and that's the thing. And this this is where my conclusion leads to the Bible did a really decent job at trying to explain it all, but it missed the mark on a lot on a lot of different things. I think it can provide some foundational things, but ultimately we don't know and no one knows. No human that's ever walked this planet understands the complexity of God, understands how this works. Although there's many people who think they've got it all figured out. Nobody knows how it works. Mm -mm. Nobody knows how it works. We're all just searching for the truth at the end of the day. We're all just digging. Mm -hmm. We're all just like dogs looking for a bone. We're all just (laughs) like digging away, hoping to find the bone and... I've stopped. We're never going to get there. Just in the yard, walking around, enjoying the time I have. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is you can either just enjoy the ride or you can spend your whole life trying to, trying to find something you will never find. And is that a, is that a life at all to just, or, or live it in, in fear of, well, what if this is true? So do you think we have free will? We obviously have free will. Yeah. No, there isn't a supernatural force that tells me to do something or not to do something or stops me from doing something I shouldn't do. Well, don't do most that, uh, religious people believe that's true. I don't that necessarily there is free know. will. Don't isn't that kind of well? Yeah, that's what the whole concept of the Bible is: is you get God gives you free will and you can choose to mm. to to believe in Him or deny yeah. Him. Well, there's some facts that are more, you know, into predestination. I think about Calvinism. God is already pre-picked you know those that are going to heaven and those that are the damned oh really i've never heard that that's interesting that's real shitty (laughs) yeah well but you know if you don't free will is 
you know, to put it quite simply, very tricky philosophically, especially when you bring God into it, because, you know, can we choose something? If God is all powerful and omniscient and knows everything, he knows what we're going to do next. We can't, you know, if he's all powerful, we can't really be able to do something that he doesn't know about. Right. Would we be able, you know, to choose differently? Like I could hit the table with my hand or not. God already knows what I'm going to do. I hit it. Could I have possibly chosen yeah. not How to? How free is that? Exactly. How free is your actual will? I think about that all the time. Or is your will not free at all, but it's an illusion that like I could just do this crazy will. move, but maybe it was planned. <laughs> but maybe God <laughs> pulled move. pulled Kendall's string. Yeah, Hand. exactly. She's about to do this. Well, don't you believe also in the idea that everything happened? I'm talking to you, Kendall, that everything happens for a reason and that there is a purpose to everything that happens. I do. So then doesn't that basically take away the idea of free will? If there was like a, re- you know, this bad thing happened because this other door was going to open up. Well, that was always going to happen. You know, that that door was always supposed to open up. And that, and therefore, in order for that to happen, this bad thing needed to take place. So doesn't that kind of go against the idea of free will? If your life, to some degree, mm. is already like planned out. I see what you mean. Free will would be the, the freedom to choose differently. I mean, I'm not like completely solidified in the idea that everything happens for a reason. I tend to think that way. Sure. But that is a very good point. Damn, I'm going to be thinking about this all night. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you, I'm curious your final answers on this, final thoughts before we wrap up here about free will. Yeah. Do you, do you believe everything happens for a reason or do you believe in free will? Like, I guess it's kind of one of the I other hate that question because I do believe that there is a reason why things happen. Um, and maybe I just believe that because it makes me more comfortable. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I guess if, if I really believe that wholeheartedly, then I don't believe in free will, but I also, I do so, right. to an extent. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel comfortable Making an exact decision on that. And that's my right. And I feel very comfortable not answering things. Yeah, I feel more comfortable being like, I don't really know. And I could go kind of, I could see the argument for both sides rather than being so gung-ho on one side versus another. Like that gives me, to me, that gives me more anxiety because what if I'm wrong? You know what I mean? Like it's more comforting to know like, "Ah, I don't know, either could be true. And I see great points for either of them, but I also see flaws for both, you know? And that's kind of where we're lucky compared to Julia and Josh is that right. we we hadn't had any thoughts or fears implanted into us when yeah. we were young. And we were able to think freely right from birth and right. make our own decisions. And we got comfortable with that versus being told this is the way. And then if you're not following that, then it's it's bad. It's wrong. And I like I really feel for people out there who are still struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, it allows you to stay open. Mm-hmm. And I think an open mind is a good thing in most situations, in most scenarios of life, because it's so easy to to fall down the wrong path, even if you think it's the right one. But if you remain open, you're you're able to consider all paths without bias and without right. past influences coming into play Mm -hmm. and i think 
that's what we're all striving for is to find this balance and openness to where we but we feel comfortable while still remaining open Mm -hmm. to all possibilities because i think that's the reason why many of us fall down one of these paths is because it gives us a sense of peace knowing that we're on a path and not floating above multiple paths yeah in a larger sense it being open can give you more peace than potentially being on one path would yeah if you can get to that even point. if the other path is you grow up with a parent who doesn't believe in any religion and they tell you that none of it's real and kind of instill that belief i'm very grateful that my parents were totally like could be could not what yeah. do you think explore live you know life freely but ultimately it's every single one of our duties in life to ponder on these things i think it's mm-hmm. good to ponder about these things i do too and, i think that's part of the experience ask right? these questions because we're all on this at the end of the day we're all gonna go out alone we're all gonna you know we're all on our own journey and you know we have people that join us for the journey but ultimately it, it is our journey mm-hmm. and the only ones that can control our journey are you and you alone mm-hmm. and so i i think I think everybody should should think about these things and think about the, you know and if you're re- religious maybe think about why am I religious? Why do I believe the things that I do? And, and, and you might oh, have answers for those things. Right. And but I think even if you are religious doesn't necessarily mean that you should close yourself off from from everything else and what yeah. other, other people's perspectives are and because serious oh sorry to cut you off. I didn't know you were going to say because Go ahead. No. I was just going to say um you know we really appreciate all of you out there. I think it's awesome if you are religious and you chose to listen to this episode even though it might be uncomfortable and like challenge yourself and think yeah. um i think that shows a lot even if you you know come out with the same conclusions i think it's really really interesting too because you know for me again i grew up catholic and i'm really grateful for the experience that i had and i think you know me and josh probably had different experiences i'm not going to say mine was 100% positive but I'd say overall it was positive. That's um, good. And I had really, you know, transformative spiritual experiences, mm. you know, during that time. And in, in high school, especially, I had some intensely, you know, spiritual experiences while I was kind of still affiliated with the church. But I think philosophy, I started studying philosophy in school really at a time when I was kind of, I guess, struggling with my faith mm. and, you know, God and whether or not God existed and everything. And, It's actually kind of interesting. I think a lot of people thought I was going to go off to college and study philosophy and be like, God's not real, you know, a hardline atheist. And actually, it's kind of what almost saved my faith in a way. I think that I became more spiritual and more like theistic Mm -hmm. in my beliefs, kind of studying stuff. So I think that's really the beauty of philosophy is truly keeping yourself open to to really everything because I was not. I was kind of going in almost afraid that I was just going to lose my faith completely. And it was. You wouldn't believe in anything. Yeah. I was shocked at how it was really the opposite. And Hmm. that's a really great point. Yeah. I love that message because I think that message is is true. I know it's true for me that you assume that if you start questioning things that you're automatically going to become a non-believer and end up an atheist. I mean, from my perspective growing up and from what I was told, being an atheist is like, the worst thing you could possibly do because you're rejecting God completely. But I think what you find is that quite the opposite happens. I think it's good to 
explore your spirituality in all senses and open yourself to other things. And, and ultimately, whatever you truly believe in is, is where you're going to end up. And so even if you are a Christian and you're, you're raised this way, I think looking, you know, exposing yourself to other things and allowing yourself to learn different perspectives can be, can be healthy for your faith. And testing your faith is, is something that is healthy because if you just stay in one place your entire life and you never, never have these other experiences, then I just don't, I don't know that you're, I feel that you're doing yourself a disservice by not doing those things because ultimately you don't, you only know what you know. And if you never go beyond your, your little world, then how do you know? If, if your little world is the right way. I don't know. No, I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm thinking from my own personal family members mm-hmm. and stuff that that live have lived this way. And I often think about this to myself of, man, I wonder if they would, you know, maybe they would end up being a, a Christian in the end, even if they did go and expose themselves. Yeah. To, maybe it would strengthen their faith in God. And and if yeah. it does, that's that's great. I mean, that's ultimately what we're all here to do is to figure out, you know, why we're here. What's our purpose? That's right. The ultimate question. Where do we go when it's when it's all over? Well, we want to hear from all of you. So leave us a comment. Let us know your thoughts. And again, thank you for listening to this very different style episode of Mile yeah, Higher. We I really enjoy having these open discussions. And it was so nice to have Julia here. Isn't she beautiful, smart, she wonderful? We love smart, her. Smart, amazing. We're so lucky to have you on our team. Absolutely. I'm so glad I got to chat with you guys today. And Yeah, this was fun. You know, say hi to yes everyone say hi to julia but yeah also let us know if there's you want to see future episodes like this or if there's other topics or philosophical questions or you know just philosophy in general that you'd love us to see and uh see us debate and and Mm -hmm. conversate about because i i really enjoy this i love diving deep within our uh ourselves so with that being said we'll wrap up today's episode there and we'll see you next week until then Keep taking your mind a mile higher.